And so we come to our Bible reading this morning, which is taken from Acts chapter 2, and we are kicking off at verse 32. And just so you can understand the context of this, this happened at Pentecost. Uh, The Holy Spirit has fallen on the group there. They've discovered that they can talk in languages that they hadn't learned, which has prompted some people to jeer at them and accuse them of being a bit too free with the bottle. And Peter stands up, and in the course of his discourse, says these words, and this is partly uh, part way through what Peter was saying. So verse 32 of Acts chapter 2 then. God has raised this Jesus to life, and we are all witnesses of that fact. Exalted to the right hand of God, he has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit and has poured out what you now see and hear. For David did not ascend to heaven, and yet he said, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? Peter replied, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord God will call. With many other words, he warned them and he pleaded with them, save yourself from this corrupt generation. Those who accepted his message were baptized and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. And we leave the account there. That first Easter Sunday, when the disciples saw the risen Jesus standing before them, they couldn't believe their eyes. Jesus had to work hard to convince them that he really was alive, showing them his hands and his feet with the marks of the nails from crucifixion, inviting them to feel with their hands that he really was flesh and blood and not some kind of phantom or ghost. They watched a piece of fish disappear as he ate it in front of them. And he explained to them how the scriptures had been fulfilled in his death and resurrection. This is what is written, he said. The Christ will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day. And repentance and forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. And Luke says he opened up the scriptures and explained all that to them. It's tantalizing that Luke doesn't spell out there and then precisely what scriptures had in mind, Jesus had in mind, and how they've been fulfilled. But if you read his gospel and Acts, it becomes pretty clear. In his gospel, Jesus repeatedly predicts his death and resurrection, and does so in terms that echo the prophecies about the servant of the Lord in Isaiah, how God's servant would be spat upon, flogged, numbered among the transgressors, even though he was innocent. In Isaiah, the servant is said to bear our sins, and the implication is that it's because Jesus bore our sins that the message of forgiveness could be proclaimed in his name to all nations. 
And certainly in the proclamation of repentance and forgiveness, Luke sees a fulfillment of the prediction that the servant would be a light to the nations and bring salvation to the ends of the earth. After his suffering, Isaiah 53 predicts that the servant of the Lord would see the light. And that looks like a reference to the resurrection. Although when Peter preaches his first sermon at Pentecost, rather than appealing to Isaiah, he appeals to Psalm 16, which refers to David saying, he won't be abandoned to the grave or seen decay, but instead will find the path of life and be filled with joy in God's presence. And Peter says, look, David's dead and buried. You can see his tomb here in Jerusalem. But he was speaking of his son who would come after him. These words about Jesus and the resurrection. So to get a full picture of how the death and resurrection of Jesus took place in fulfillment of the Old Testament scriptures, you really want to read through Luke and then through Acts. Last week I said, if you want to start reading the Bible, why not start with John? If this week's gone by and you didn't start with John, why not start with Luke? And just read it through in the book of Acts afterwards. See for yourself how the message of Jesus fulfills the promises and prophecies made in the Old Testament. Time and time again in the New Testament, Christians are called believers. What is it that we believe? What's the content of our faith? It can be summed up in Luke's little summary of what the risen Lord said to his disciples on the evening of the day of his resurrection. Christ suffered, rose again from the dead on the third day, and in his name, repentance and the forgiveness of sins are available to everyone. Repentance here goes a lot deeper than a sense of regret or remorse over what we might have done in the past. The followers of Jesus were never charged with the task of trying to make people feel guilty. Though goodness knows over the, church, over the centuries the church has misguidedly made a very good job of doing that. Repentance here means a God-given change of heart and mind, a turning away from darkness to light. You see, forgiveness is a great thing. It's marvellous to know that all my sins have been forgiven. But once I've been forgiven, if I just carry on living the same way, doing the same stuff, pretty soon I'll have another stack of sins I need to say sorry for so that I can be forgiven all over again. And many people mistakenly see the Christian life as a kind of endless cycle of sin, regret, forgiveness. And going through that cycle over and over just breeds a sense of failure and inadequacy. But the disciples weren't sent out with a message of penitence and forgiveness. They were sent out with a life-changing message that Jesus could change their hearts and minds, the whole orientation of their lives, that's repentance, and release them from past sins, that's forgiveness. It's not about just being forgiven what we've done so we can carry on doing it and get forgiveness again. It's about a fundamental change that takes place in who we are and how we live. The gospel is good news because it genuinely liberates people from a sense of failure and shame and enables us to live new lives with Jesus as Lord. That's the message. That's the good news. That's what we're invited to believe. I said last week that on Sunday mornings I'd be preaching a series of sermons on what it means to be a Christian in a Baptist church. A series entitled First Steps, where each, of the, each letter of steps stands for something. S, last week, stood for scriptures revealing Jesus. T, this week, stands for trust. Evangelism, E, prayer and prayer, P, service through spiritual gifts, S, are still to come. I chose T for trust rather than F for faith or B for believe, not, because, not just because T enables us to make the acronym first steps, but also because trust is a more personal term 
than faith or belief. You tell someone, you've got to have faith. And that means little more than just being positive or confident, getting rid of all those negative vibes. If you talk about believing, that implies believing a message, believing what I say. I'm inviting you this morning to believe that Jesus suffered, died and rose again so that you can be changed, your sins forgiven in his name. And if you do believe that message, there'll be rejoicing in heaven over your salvation. But trust, trust goes even further than that. Because normally when we talk about trust, we talk about trusting somebody. I'm not asking you to trust me, because I can't do anything for you, but I am asking you, inviting you, to put your trust in Jesus. Because when it comes to forgiving your sins, he's the one who can do it. When it comes to turning your life around, he's the one who does that. Trust involves a step of faith. It's like the old story of Blondin, the tightrope walker, asking the crowd if they believed he could take someone in a wheelbarrow on a tightrope across the Niagara Falls. Yeah, all happy to believe that you can do it. Who trusts me enough to get in the wheelbarrow, then he said. Well, that was a different matter. Believing it is one thing, trusting him is something else. In the same way, it's one thing to give intellectual assent to the idea that, yes, Jesus died and rose again so that sins can be forgiven and people's lives changed for the better. That's a belief. Trusting Jesus can do that for me, that's a step of faith. Putting your trust in Jesus, that he forgives us, that he can turn our lives around, that he can give us eternal life, that's where belief and faith become trust. Because trust is personal. It's not a matter of saying that you believe some kind of statement of faith. It's about putting your trust in Jesus for your salvation. And that's an act of commitment. It's not what you believe about Jesus that is so important as your readiness to put your trust in him on the basis of what you do know about him. And that's why for Christians in the Baptist church, we say that trust is best expressed in baptism. Last week, I I referred to the first part of what we call the Declaration of Principle, which is the basis on which Baptist churches belong together in a union. That comes in, in three parts, and the second part of the Declaration says this. Christian baptism is the immersion in water, into the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, of those who have professed repentance towards God and faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for our sins according to the Scriptures, was buried and rose again the third day. Baptism is a public declaration of repentance and trust in Jesus. It's where faith comes out into the open. It's an act of total personal commitment to Christ as Lord and Saviour. When it comes to salvation, forgiveness, eternal life, knowing God, my personal identity, my motivation for living, I am putting all my eggs in one basket and putting my trust in Christ. Total immersion under the water is a symbol of 100% giving of your life to Christ. All of me goes under the water, all of my life is dedicated now to God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. My past, dead and buried with Christ. Washed clean from all my sin, God raises me up to live a new life with Christ in charge. All of that, represented by the act of going into the water, under the water, 
coming up out of the water again, dying with Christ to the past, being raised with Christ to a new life, sins washed away, total commitment. Baptism expresses faith publicly. It shows that you mean business about what you believe. It's one thing to think, yeah, in my heart and my mind, I, I think I put my trust in Jesus. Baptism is making the declaration saying, yes, this is what I stake my life upon. It's where faith becomes trust, if you like, publicly. So baptism is really only for people who take their faith seriously, who base their lives upon it. But it's what Jesus calls us to do. After all, making forgiveness and that life-changing difference in heart and mind, making those available to us, cost him his life. And he never presented following him as some kind of optional extra. It's all or nothing. Take up your cross and follow me, he said. The Apostle Paul put it in extreme terms. I've been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Quite simply, trusting Jesus means making him the focus, the aim, the goal, the purpose of our lives and everything becoming orientated around him as Lord. Why would anybody ever want to do that? Well, partly it's a recognition of, of, of what Jesus has done and can do for us. If you're trapped in guilt, he's the one to bring release. If your life is heading downhill in the wrong direction, he's the one who can stop it and turn it around. If you feel utterly worthless, he's the one who can bring the love of God into your heart. If you're scared of dying, he brings assurance of eternal life. If you're scared of the future, he's promised he will never leave your side and never let you down. If you don't see any point in living, he's the one who wants to bring his life-changing kingdom into your life. If you've ever had some kind of encounter with God, then he's the one who can make God a reality in your life. And if these issues are real for you and you see Jesus as the saviour, then yes, it's worth making that commitment to him because without him, what is life about? But it's not just about what he can do for me. Actually, it's the recognition that the one who was crucified has been made Lord and Christ and he lays claim to our lives. And it's a matter of recognising and accepting his authority over who we are and what we do. So the call to baptism really is a call to conversion. If you believe in Jesus, if you have faith in Jesus... If you trust Jesus, then baptism is where you start to put that belief, faith and trust into practice with an act of commitment that says, this is who I am, Jesus is Lord of who I am. What's it Peter said at the end of his first sermon on the day of Pentecost? Repent and be baptised, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. In other words, the promise is valid for everyone. It was John the Baptist who set the ball rolling, telling people to repent and be baptised for the forgiveness of sins. Peter picks up and adapts that message 
on the day of Pentecost says, Repent and be baptized, all of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins. You will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And Luke, recording Peter's words in, his, in the book of Acts, wrote them down, not just because that's what Peter said, but he wrote them down for the benefit of his readers. Because through his account of Jesus and Jesus' first followers in the gospel, Luke knew that God would speak to call people to himself that people reading Peter's words in the book of Acts would hear God calling them to repent and be baptised and believe that God's promise was valid for them. And for me, in turn, after John the Baptist and and, and, um, Peter and Luke, I say to you this morning, the call is reissued. God is calling people, I believe, in this building, listening to this podcast, to believe his promise. Allow Jesus to turn their lives around receive the forgiveness of sins, and express all that in the act of getting baptised. God has done his bit by giving his son for you. Luke did his bit by recording what he knew about Jesus and his followers. I've tried to do my bit by bringing you God's message this morning. And maybe the Holy Spirit is calling you to take a step of faith and commitment. Because being a Christian is all about trusting Jesus. It's all about taking a step of faith. It's about making a public act of commitment by getting baptised. The message has been proclaimed. It's down to you now. One small step would be to say, yeah, I'll come along to the baptism membership classes starting this Friday and just see a bit more what it's about. But I'm going to close the sermon by leaving you again with the words of Peter. God has made this Jesus, who was crucified, Lord and Christ. So repent and be baptised, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Because the promise is for you, and for your children, and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. If we had the baptistry open this morning, I might say, right! But it isn't. But the communion table is set. And this is something Jesus invited us to do in remembrance of him. And again, it's not a public act of of faith. But it is a personal declaration of faith to say, Jesus, I believe you died for me so that I could be forgiven. And I acknowledge your claim on my life. So, There's no pressure to get baptised, but there is an invitation to take the bread and wine, to trust that, yes, Jesus gave his life that I might live. I believe he died for my sins, to forgive me and put me right with God. His body was broken so that I could be healed, his blood shed to cleanse my life. If that's an expression of faith you feel you would like to make this morning, perhaps for the first time, The bread and wine are there, available to you to do something tangible. To say, yes, I want to put my trust in Jesus as my Saviour and my Lord today.